Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. spoke to me while we were in lockdown and said there's five major shifts that God is bringing to the global church. And uh, we hit the fourth one a couple of weeks ago, which is moving from a copycat way of doing life to becoming innovative. I've been able to introduce new concepts, new methodologies and new ideas. And uh, I spoke on that, and I want to park on that again today because I feel it's got merit to just have another shot at it and come from a little bit of a different angle. So, Lord, we just open your word. We pray that as your word is open this morning, Lord, that your power would emanate through your word. It's quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides asunder soul and spirit, bone and marrow. It discerns the very thoughts and intents of our heart. So, Lord, this morning we pray, let the word do its work. Would you rest upon that which is from you, Lord? May that which is from me fall to the ground and we just commit our time in the word together in Jesus' name. Well, what is innovative? If we're to move from being a copycat to innovation, what does the word innovate mean? It means to make changes in something established. If you're feeling a little too established and stuck in your ways, then maybe God is speaking to you today about being a little more innovative. Uh, especially around the area of embracing something that is maybe foreign to you, something that is new to you that you're not familiar with. Uh, when it comes to change, we normally, have, we normally have the early adopters. That's about 10% of us. 10% of us will say, change, I love change. Just give me change. I'm ready to adapt. I'm ready to change. I don't care about the old ways. I'm happy to move forward. I breathe, eat, and sleep change. I'm a change monster. (laughs) And then you've got about 10% of us that resist change. We put our head down and we're ready to headbutt that thing. We're saying, no way, you're not going to change me. I've been, Pastor James, I've been living like this. There's been nothing wrong with it for the last 40 years. Don't you try and change me now. (laughs) And then we've got all the in-betweens where we've got to try and work it all out and we're we're, we're, we're thinking, we're, we're embracing, we're looking at things from different angles, ready to make some adjustments within our life. You see, when we don't embrace innovation, we, end, we simply end up becoming copycats. That's our only other option and alternative that's available to us. We become followers instead of leaders. Many of you called to lead in this room. But you've been so set in your ways and you've been told this is the way you do things. And so you've never stepped out or branched out into innovation. And when you don't do that over a long period of time, this is what happens to us. We lose creativity. We become predictable and boring. Like some of your date nights. And we can enter into the danger zone. We can enter into the danger zone of boxing out innovation 
And if we box out innovation, guess what happens? We get boxed in by tradition. We get boxed in by tradition. Now, not all tradition, I might add, is bad. We have some good traditions, like the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, a great tradition that's been implemented in the Scriptures. But understand that what we're talking about here is our willingness to be led forward in our life by the Spirit of God. Those who are led by the Spirit, Romans 8 tells us, are sons and daughters of the living God. Isn't that interesting that our, our identity is actually being defined by our willingness to be led forward by the Holy Spirit? To be open to where He wants to lead you to. We just take one glimpse at the Bible and it's filled with examples of person after person who opened their minds to be willing to be led into change and those changes changed the world. These are the men they spoke about, the early disciples in the book of Acts that have turned the world upside down. What a riveting statement that a small band of men and women who served Christ turned the world upside down for Jesus because they were open for change. Now, the greatest potential loss when we become copycats and boxed in by tradition, the greatest potential loss in all of our lives is the untapped potential inside of you. 2009, I was involved with a group of churches in New Zealand and we got a guest ministry from overseas, Pastor Miles Munro, tremendous man of God. He simply passed, he's uh, he's recently passed away uh, through a jet uh, plane crash in the Bahamas uh, as they were coming into land. They hit a crane and, um, and he, him and his wife were both killed and one of his uh, daughters as well. It was, a, it was a great tragedy to the body of Christ. But on his tour here in New Zealand, I heard him say something that stuck with me ever since that time. And he made a statement in, in response to a question. Here's the question. Do you know where the richest place on planet Earth is? And here's the answer. The graveyard is the richest place on the surface of Earth because there you will find the books that were not published, ideas that were not harnessed, songs that were not sung, and drama pieces that were never acted. I could say amen and we could go home on that one. We could just take some time to really think about that statement. How much untapped potential has been taken to the grave and never released because we were a copycat generation that never tapped the potential of what God has placed inside of us. Wow. Jesus completely changed the game of life. After his resurrection, he told his disciples to wait for him. He breathed on his disciples the Holy Spirit. And then the rest after his resurrection and his ascension, he said, wait for me in Jerusalem. Don't do anything because I'm going to give you something that's going to completely tap into the potential of you being human beings here on planet Earth. 
And if you don't wait for me, you're going to end up living a life that is short of the mark of what I've called you to do. So they waited for 10 days. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, on the day of Pentecost, when it had fully come, there came the sound of a rushing mighty wind and tongues of fire rested on the 120 that were in the upper room. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke in other languages. Tongues of fire rested upon their head. And as a result of that one day, the world began to change through the band of a very small group of people that absolutely radically changed the world. What happened? What changed? This is what happened. They were filled with God. In order to live a life of fullness so that they could give everything that God had placed inside of them so that when it came to their turn to be put in the ground, they know that they lived full, but they died empty. They lived a full life, but they died empty. They gave all that they had to give and they took nothing left with them to the grave. They expended it all for the cause of Jesus Christ. God foretold of this new innovative practice of the Holy Spirit in Ezekiel hundreds of years before the event took place in Ezekiel 36 verse 26. I will give you a new heart, God said, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. What happened right there, friends, on the day of Pentecost was simply this. No longer were we reduced to external conformity to a written code called the Ten Commandments. But what God did was he took out our stony hearts. He placed in us a heart of flesh that was connected to the one who created the world. And suddenly everything changed because inside of us, the creator was filling us with brand new innovation and concepts and ideas in order to change the world around us. Once upon a time, it was only a select few called prophets and kings that ever got to experience the mantling and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But now, through the death, burial and resurrection of Christ, Jesus said, it's available to all who believe inside of you. I'm going to fill you with myself. And inside of you, I'm going to cause creativity to flow out of you, innovation to flow out of you, new methodologies and ideas and dreams and visions to flow out of you in order to change the world around about you. Praise God. God wants us to live full and die empty. So I've decided this morning to ask you to think about how you want to die. Not the method, <laughs> but how you want to finish your race. I want to ask you that question today because it's a very valid question. What legacy do you want to leave behind after you go into the ground? So on that note, Viv preached on Elisha, so I can't let her get one up on me. So I'm going to preach on Elisha this morning. So 2 Kings 13, she was in 2 Kings 2, so I'm jumping ahead. Praise God, I'm winning the race. Not that it's a competition, Viv. Wink, wink. (laughs) 
2 Kings 13 verse 20, a very, very unusual, out of place story that seems to have no relevance to us whatsoever, even in the context of scripture. It's been placed in there as a mystery for us to discover the mystery, which I'm going to attempt for us to discover this morning. Reading from verse 20, Elisha died and was buried. Now Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So what did they do? They freaked out. They threw the man's body, the dead man. They threw the man into Elisha's tomb. But they didn't expect what happened next to happen. And when the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. What an amazing story. But it seems to be like a footnote placed at the end of Elisha's life. And it's not a story about those who were burying their friend. It's not, we don't even see, there's not even a story about the man who was resurrected because we read nothing more of him. So what is the point of the story today in the scripture? It sits so awkwardly in 2 Kings and yet God included it for a reason today. And I want to talk about a possible reason in this message today. You see, the mystery in the story is hidden in the fact that those old dead bones of Elisha that were locked up, they were lying dormant for years within that grave. It was a decayed body, but within those bones, there was a residue of unused power. And what power it was. That power was able to blast a dead man back into the land of the living. Woohoo! That is exciting. What power. And for all those years since Elijah had died and his body had decayed, a miracle working power was lying dormant in his remains. Though Elisha had left the planet. His power hadn't. Why? For some reason, Elisha died incomplete. He lived full, but he didn't die empty. He died with unspent power still residing in those bones. Why would unspent power, what's the point of it lying in there in that grave? Apart from the fact that it eventually did resurrect a dead man and bring him back to life. We see some purpose in there. But could it be this morning that the residual power left in Elisha's bones today can be a guiding principle for you and I to live our lives by on this topic today? I love this statement of Paul Scannon. I want to quote him this morning. He said this, What God gives us to be spent on earth must stay on earth. We can't take it with us. Heaven doesn't need it and God doesn't want it back. We must die empty, fully spent, with nothing held back, nothing in reserve, Nothing we wish that we had done or that we had said or that we had spoken and no one we wish that we had have helped when we had the opportunity to help them. Completely spent, empty, living full, but when we give up the ghost, dying 
empty, having expended all, no residue left in your bones. It's all been distributed and spent for the glory of God. Praise the Lord. Let me illustrate. If somebody, how many of you have ever had a gift certificate given to you? Dear family member, it's better than socks and undies on on (laughs) your birthday, men. Somebody gives you a, a gift certificate, might be to go to the movies or go to a restaurant, and you forget all about it. You ever done that? You find it in the drawer one day. Expiry date's gone. And you're regretting, you think, oh, I should have. You see, the thing, about, the thing about a gift certificate is that it has rules and limitations on it. Is that correct? And in the same way today, praise God, for our lives, the treasure that God has placed within you, the voucher of our life on earth, has planet earth stamped across it which means it cannot be used any other place. The treasure has to be spent here on earth. You can't take it with you. It no longer works in the store of heaven. It's got to be worked out here on earth today. Praise the Lord. You can't spend it in heaven. The treasure that God's placed in you here on earth, it's got to be spent on earth. That's the rules of the game. That's the limitations. You can't take it with you. It's not worth anything in heaven. That voucher no longer works in heaven. It's got to be spent here on earth. You can't spend what was intended for lost people in the church. It's still the wrong store. We've got to get out of the church and spend the treasure where God's placed us, where the lost people are. Praise the Lord today. We're blessed to be a blessing. In other words, we're filled to get empty. Praise God. I've determined in my own life, I will be empty when I die. Nothing I didn't say, nothing I didn't do, no one I didn't help, and nowhere I wanted to go will remain in my life. I've made that decision, and I'd like to know that you've made that decision. I want to die with an empty bank account, or if there's something in it, that it's tagged for kingdom purposes. I refuse to die with the secret recipe. Thank you. <laughs> Only enjoying it for myself when it should be distributed to others. Praise God. I refuse to die alone without spiritual sons and daughters. That's why we're investing our lives in the next generation with what we're called to do. And I refuse to die still grasping a baton that I should have passed on to others in the name of Jesus. So we must live to get empty, not to stay full. Hallelujah. And when we die, our bones should just be bones, not capsules holding unspent power in them, like so with Elisha today. And I wonder this morning how much power is locked up inside the church. How many people's miracles are on hold because they're stuck in a storage container called the church. I really believe that that in the closing moments of Elisha's life, we know what happened with Elijah's closing moments. You know what happened? He passed on the mantle to Elisha. Elisha chased him down. So Elijah, Elijah died spent. 
He passed everything he had of the anointing on to Elisha. Now Elisha's coming to the end of his life. He's sick. He knows his time's up, but he's still got unspent power in him. The problem is that King Jehoash is a very poor candidate for the power of God. And the only reason that King Jehoash was left to carry something from Elisha was because he had tried to pass it on to Gehazi, but the anointing never penetrated Gehazi's heart because he had a crooked, bent character. And the anointing never penetrated his heart. So here's Elisha nearing the end of his life. And he's, he's saying, I've got unspent power in me. I need to use it up. Call Je- King Jehoash. Let's carry the story on. Verse 14. Now Elisha was suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried. Whatever. <laughs> He was living a bent life. We all love the anointing, but we like, do we like to live by the anointing? The chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha, here he is. Listen to this in the context of what I've just said, because what you're about to read is Elisha's now planning to use up all the unspent anointing that he's carrying within his life. One last chance. He knows he's on his deathbed. I've got to get rid of this anointing. I've lived a full life. I've got to die empty. What does he do? He says, he says, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands. He said to the king of Israel, when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said. He opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows. The king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Elisha died and was buried. And then we have the story that we began with of the man being resurrected years later in his tomb. The king didn't have a clue what was actually going on here. He was clueless. And so were most of those that were around Elisha at the time. The deadline for his unspent power is nearly upon him. And he knows if only King Jehoash had persevered not just three times, but that he'd taken the word of the Lord at hand and connected with the life source of Elisha's anointing, that he would have completely demolished his enemies. Instead, it was only a victory of three times, but the enemy would still be hanging around instead of completely eradicating the enemy of Israel in that situation. Elisha was desperate to offload that excess anointing and it must have been poor, it must have been absolutely pure agony for him to be able to see that he was going to die still with some of the anointing of God within his life. If we look at the Apostle Paul, he shows us the pattern. He had spent all that he had raising up a young Timothy who became the pastor of the head of the head church of Asia Minor in Ephesus 
became a great influential man of God. And the only reason that was possible was because Paul's anointing had been poured into young Timothy, who rose up to be a great pastor and a great leader in his day. And he tells Timothy at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4 verse 6, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. Look at that analogy. I've been tipped up and tipped over and I've been poured out into the next generation. And the time has come for my departure. What can he say about his life? I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race and I've kept the faith. Wow. Paul died empty, bone dry. And so should you and I, if we're to follow the pattern that's been placed in front of us. If we look at Christ himself, his death on the cross was the ultimate dying empty scene. The ultimate dying empty. Have you ever thought about Jesus even while he's hanging on the cross? He turns to the thief that's next to him. And he's, he's hanging there crucified, but he's still got stuff in him to pass on to those around him. And the thief on the cross next to him has a moment, momentary moment of repentance where he realizes the ugly life that he's lived and he gets recognition that hanging next to him is the Son of God. And Jesus turns to him, still expending what he's carrying. And he says to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. It was if Jesus knew he was still not empty yet and he passes on today the gift of salvation to the thief hanging on the cross, even in his last moments. But it didn't stop there. He looks down and he sees his beautiful mother Mary looking up to him, who's devastated by his crucifixion. And he sees the apostle in whom he loved, the apostle John, standing next to his mother Mary. And he's still giving out. He's still expending the anointing that he's carrying on that cross. And he turns to his mother and he says, dear woman, here is your son. What's he saying? I'm not going to put you in a rest home. He's saying this boy I've spent three and a half years training him and he's going to look after you, mum. He's going to take care of you. And he said to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, his, this disciple took her into his home. Did you know I didn't finish there? He even asked for a drink as he's so thirsty up there on the cross. As he's nearly spent He asked for, why did he ask for a drink? Do you know why he asked for a drink? Because it wasn't finished yet. It had been predicted that the one who was going to die on behalf of the sins of the world by prophets hundreds of years earlier, that he would take a drink in his last dying moments. He was fulfilling prophecy. He was going right to the end, making sure every I was dotted and every T was crossed. Living full, but dying empty. And we see at the end this magnificent statement that Jesus spoke as he's about to give up his life. John 19 verse 30, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he dismissed his spirit. He lived full, but he died absolutely empty.
You know, friends, what we don't do or what we don't say, what we don't fight for, our children will be left to deal with it. Every Goliath that we don't kill will live to terrorize our children and their children. I don't want my kids to be left fighting the giants that I was supposed to take out. I believe that God's called us as a church to be drawn to the emptiness and the plagues of addictions in our society. And to rescue people out of the burning flames of a lost eternity. And take upon us the secret weapon of the infilling of the Holy Spirit to be filled and to live full but to die empty for the cause of Jesus Christ today. As I'm finishing this morning, I want to ask you, is your grave going to be a place of hidden treasure? Or is it going to be a place where you left everything on the field? You lived full, but you died empty. There's no stories, poems, songs, books, acts of love and kindness and deeds towards your community that haven't been done because you made a decision. I'm going to live my life full, but I'm going to be spent right till the end. Will you leave unfinished giants to terrorize the next generation or will you fight the good fight and take down the Goliath that God has assigned for you to take down, to live full, to die empty? And will you live an innovative life, breaking with tradition to create new possibilities for others, casting aside the copycat lifestyle that we're so drawn to because it's easy and we love to live lazy lives? Will we allow the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our generation to change the landscape of where we live with what we're doing, with brand new, creative, God-inspired ideas that will change a generation? Will you live to get empty, not to stay full? Will you live to get empty, not to stay full? And when we die, our bones are just going to be bones with no residue of the anointing left in them because we expended everything for the cause of Christ.